It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or if you work in corporate or if you're a college student, you really have to look at who you're surrounded by and not only who you're surrounded by right now, but who you want to be surrounded by in the future. So really, you know, they always have that saying that you are the composition of the five people that you spend the most time with. And that's really true. And so I say the joke all the time, but I know that my goal in life is to be the dumbest person in the room uh, because I really think if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Hello, and welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. That clip you just heard was the fabulous Kim Kaup. She's the CEO of a super fan company, a fan engagement agency focused on creating one-of-a-kind products and programs for entertainers, brands, and celebrities. Since starting the company, her all-female team has collaborated with A-list properties such as Oprah, the New York Mets, Kiss, and Shawn Mendes. Kim has been named to Forbes 30 Under 30, while the company was hailed as a top 30 startup to watch by Entrepreneur. She was featured on Shark's Tank, securing offers from four out of the five sharks, and was most recently seen judging the 2019 Miss USA pageant. In today's episode, we talk about how she went from a corporate job at Condé Nast to jumping into a new venture at only 25 years old, the importance of keeping in touch with your contacts, how she landed a spot on Shark's Tank, and how her business hit a million dollars in revenue within the first year. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. It was a fun one. I'm here with Kim Kaup. Wow, I'm so thrilled to have her on my podcast because I actually remember watching her pitch Zine Pack on Shark's Tank when I was younger. It's such an honor to chat with her today, and I truly think her story will help other young entrepreneurs navigate this tricky period of uncertainty. Kim is an amazing role model, and I can't wait for you all to hear how she got on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. So most people are probably thinking she must have had a master plan to get to where she was today. Kim, I know you mentioned in previous interviews that you were an accidental entrepreneur. Do you mind sharing your story? Sure. So I I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I think when people hear the word entrepreneur, a lot of times they think born with it. They think that entrepreneurs are born and that, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs tell these stories of having lemonade stands or selling candy in the back of the bus or lawn mowing conglomerates or babysitting uh, businesses. And I say that I'm an accidental entrepreneur because I never had any of those things. I was not a born entrepreneur. I didn't start small businesses when I was a little kid. I bought the lemonade. I bought the candy in the back of the bus. I was the purchaser, uh, not the seller. So uh, I didn't have dreams of being an entrepreneur. It was just sort of something that I, you know, happy accidentally fell into. Um, My dream growing up was to work at a corporate job. And I did that for two and a half years before starting my company. So I always like to tell people that just because you haven't dreamed of being an entrepreneur since you were a little kid, doesn't mean that you can't become an entrepreneur or at least sort of harness the entrepreneurial spirit. After university, you worked in a corporate position at like Condé Nast. And then from there, how did you jump into the new venture? How did you create um, the Zine Pack Superfan Company? 
Yeah, I worked at Condé Nast for two and a half years and ended up leaving Condé Nast and going to a small activation agency that was a subsidiary of a pretty big agency called DDB, which is based in New York. And it was at this small agency that I met my co-founder, Brittany. And she had this idea that she had been sort of rummaging around in her head for a while. And one day we went out for drinks after work and she sort of pitched me on this idea of, you know, what do you think about this? And you have this background in magazines and publishing and you know all these people. And I think we could actually do this. And at the time, you know, I always tell people it's really good to sort of do like a self-evaluation. And at the time I was 25 years old, I was extremely, extremely fortunate that because I had scholarships throughout college that I didn't have any student debt. I rented an apartment with my two best friends in New York. I had followed the sort of golden rule from my parents of saving as much as I could from my corporate paycheck as part of a a rainy day fund and really kind of made the assessment of, do I have a lot to lose if I tried to do this business idea and it failed? And at the time, you know, I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have car payments. I didn't have student loan debt. I didn't really have anything stopping me. And so that really gave me the the courage to give this, give this whole entrepreneurial thing a real go, knowing that if it didn't work after a couple months, I could go back to corporate and try to get a job in the corporate world. Did you have any backup plans or yeah, when you started the company, did you ever think, oh my goodness, this could fail? Or did you not really have any expectations? You kind of just jumped into it. Yeah, I assumed it was going to fail, which is probably an interesting place to start. Uh, but I knew, you know, the statistics and it's you know something crazy, like 90% of startups fail or something like that. So I had really been bracing for it to fail, quite frankly, uh, and made more plans for it to fail than if it actually succeeded, which is ironic because obviously it ended up succeeding. Uh, but yeah, I had really planned on it to fail and made really clear outlines for myself of exactly how much savings I had, exactly how much runway I had until I ran out of money, uh, exactly who I would go to to try to get a job once my savings were running low. Uh, I had a lot of plans of what it was going to do or how I was going to handle it if it started to fail. And when you first started the business, how did you guys figure out like the financial plans, the accounting, just everything just with running a business? Because this was your first business. So how did you manage that? Did you have outside help or did you really just quickly learn as you went? We were really lucky because our company runs as an agency business. So to give listeners a bit of an idea of what an agency business looks like from a financial standpoint is you charge things based off knowing how much things cost. So if I know, you know, for instance, my time is worth $100 an hour, I might say, okay, I know that I need to charge $125 an hour, $100 to cover my cost and, you know, the $25 for profit. Or if you're using physical items as an example, if I know the coffee mug costs a dollar, I might sell you the coffee mug for $1.50. So I cover my cost, which is a dollar, and then I make 50 cents in profit. So using that example, we know from an agency model, if we need to sell a coffee mug for $1.50 at some 
someone comes along and says, well, I only want to pay 75 cents. We know that that doesn't make sense because we know that the coffee mug costs a dollar. If someone's going to pay you 75 cents, you actually end up losing money. So because we've run like an agency model, we knew from the start and we still do to this day, we know from the start exactly how much money we're going to be making on every single project that we take on. And we don't take on projects that don't make us money. Great. And for people that don't know, do you just mind explaining in your own words what Superfan Company is and how does it bring value to those superfans? Sure. The Superfan Company is a fan engagement agency. So we focused on exactly that, fan engagement. We want to make sure that fans are feeling connected and excited and loved by their favorite music artists, brands, and sports teams. So we look to help foster that relationship and to help people feel really excited and passionate about those entities. Right. And at the beginning, how did you start connecting with those celebrities and musicians? Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting point because it's something that I end up telling young people a lot. And to give a little learning lesson here, you know, I always find it really surprising around this time. I get a lot of emails about internships and, you know, how to get an internship and how to stay connected and how to get your first job or how to get your second job. And all of that is connections. All of that is networking. All of that is people that you know and people that you stay connected with. And it always blows my mind when I talk to people who are maybe one or two years out of college and they're you know, going to go to their second job or their third job and they need some references. And I say, well, why don't you call, you know, the person that you worked with, not at the last company, but the one before. And they'll say, oh, well, I don't talk to that person anymore. And that blows my mind because while you may switch jobs or you may switch internships or you come back to college from an internship, you move, but your connections stay with you forever. You should have a Rolodex of connections and people that you can call, you know, collect people like Easter eggs, just picking them up as you go about your travels and putting them in your, in your basket. And so when we really got started, it was a lot of that. It was, you know, me reaching out to people I worked with at Condé Nast. It was my co-founder, Brittany, reaching out to people that she worked with at previous jobs and seeing who we could connect with. And then once we connected with those people, you know, who were they connected with? And so we really got our start based off those connections actually from previous jobs, which always sort of shocks people. But I always think is so important that you might leave a job, but you shouldn't leave the connections behind. Yeah. And I know that in your personal life, you're really good at connecting with and mentoring um, other people. And how do you maintain all those contacts and the connections, not just with your business, but also personally? I think the easiest thing for me, I mean, I'm so happy that we have social media, especially now. Um, but I think it's so easy. Things like LinkedIn, it's never been easier to, you know, when you're leaving an internship or when you're leaving campus for a semester to hop on there and spend 20 minutes connecting with all your TAs or connecting with your professors or connecting with your boss at your internship or your fellow interns. Uh, you never know who those people know or, or where the world's going to take you. So I tell people that you should be spending at least an hour or two every month on LinkedIn connecting with people that you met that month or heard that month that you think could be really interesting. 
Yeah, and speaking of social media, do you think it's more difficult or easier to start a business? Because now everyone is able to make their own websites, online accounts are fairly easy to set up, but then there's also a lot more competition. And bringing that back to your company, how has your company evolved with the rise of social media and the demands of the modern superfan? Yeah, social media is definitely not going away anytime soon. It's a double-edged sword. You know, some people really uh, hate it and think we spend too much time on it. But for better or for worse, it's it's here to stay and it's not going anywhere. And I think it's really changed the way that we interact with each other. I think it's changed the way that we interact with our favorite sports teams, with our favorite music artists, with our favorite brands, because we feel more connected to them than ever before. And we can also see glimpses into their lives, whether it's the workouts they're doing or the food that they're eating or uh, the apps that they're using. I think brands and teams and music artists can share in a way that was never possible 10 years ago, like it is now. And so for us, it's just further proof that the fan relationship can continue to evolve and that you can continue to engage both online and offline with your fans and create opportunities for shared experiences and, and shared learning. Yeah. And I love how real you are on social media, especially your Instagram. Like I remember watching a video, you're getting ready for an award show and then you're showing the process of getting ready and putting all the body makeup on. Um, I love how you use your platform. So yeah. Do you have like a specific message that you use for your platform, reaching out to like young females or you kind of just, you post what you want, right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely kind of look at it with an eye of how do I make entrepreneurship uh, seem accessible and seem, you know, attainable and, and not something that's so lofty and so far away and also just trying to keep it keep it really real. Uh, I think that Instagram is great and some people utilize it for showing sort of the greatest hits album, you know, the very staged photos, the very glossy, beautiful images, aspirational places or things to wear. And and those are great accounts and God knows we all follow them. But I also think there's really room for the messy and amidst the magical and saying, how do we how do we show the real stuff that goes on as well? Not only just the the glossy, beautiful stuff, but how do we show a bit of the, a bit of the mess and a bit of the realness as well? Because I think that it's important for people to see it as see themselves in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And then I've also noticed that you recently were a judge on um, Miss USA in 2019. So kind of, how was the process of that being a judge on there? It was really fun. I had never been to a pageant before. I had never, you know, experienced the pageant circuit or or anything of the sort. So I was, you know, blown away by the whole process and the amazing individuals, not only the women competing, but everybody around them, whether it was their parents or their families or their coaches or whoever uh, was there supporting them. It's, it's amazing. And most people don't realize that, you know, those contestants, that's just one uh, part of what they do. Some of them are doctors and teachers and lawyers and uh, entrepreneurs. And so they have, you know, 
quote unquote day jobs uh, that they do and that they go to. And the, the pageant stuff is like a nights and weekends type of thing. So all of those workouts and, um, you know, healthy living and talent and all that sort of stuff, you know, that's something that they all have to work on, not full time, which I was really sort of shocked and impressed by. Yeah. And going back to the beginning of your company, so you were on Sharks Tank and I know that the actual presentation was an hour with the sharks. How was that? Like that you must've been really nervous. Yeah, no, it was definitely a really fun process for anybody that's watched the show. Uh, you'll see that it's, you know, really you're there in front of the sharks. That's definitely a real experience. You know, we didn't meet them or see them before we stepped out onto that soundstage. So that is very real. Obviously the eight minutes that you see online is a bit abbreviated just because, you know, when we're in there for over an hour, they can't show all that. It would be probably very boring for people to watch. So they obviously edited it down but it was definitely an amazing experience and and sort of the gift that keeps on giving because most people don't realize that our episode, even though it first aired in 2015, which is, you know, amazingly five years ago, our episode still airs every six to eight weeks on MSNBC or one of these other channels, because if anybody's uh, been in the gym or taken long plane rides before, they'll see that as they're flipping around through channels, a lot of times they'll have these Shark Tank marathons. So MSNBC will program, you know, 10 hours of a Shark Tank marathon. Uh, So they end up playing quite a lot of episodes of the show. And so our episodes ends up re-airing. So it's funny because on Facebook or Instagram, I'll get messages uh, every couple months that someone has taken a picture, like I said, in their gym or, or at home saying, oh my gosh, I was flipping through the channels and, you know, there you are. So it's definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And you didn't actually end up taking the deal, right? The investment. So how did you utilize their connections in other ways instead of um, monetarily? Well, we actually did not go through with the deal that you see on the show. So on the show, we do a deal with Robert and Lori. However, we did not ink that deal in real life. So a lot of the deals that you see that get done on the show don't actually happen afterwards. So we were one of those cases. So we left on great terms with Robert and Lori and, and think the world of them. But once we got into some of the details and some of the things that they thought, and we thought, um, it just wasn't, I, I always tell people, you know, there's a difference between dating someone and being like, you're really great, but I just don't know if we should get married. Uh, you know, I just don't know if we should take it to the next level. Uh, so we, you know, had a lot of fun dating, but, uh, it just wasn't marriage material. Yeah, fair enough. And within the first year of business, you hit a million dollars in revenue. So that's not only rare for new companies, but also female founded companies. So how did you kind of scale the company afterwards? Cause once you hit that million dollars, you're like, wow, I made it. But then how do you continuously improve the company? Yeah, you know, it's something that we're seeing a lot of right now. I think a lot of times in entrepreneurship, uh, people kind of liken it. I was like, oh, you started this company and, you know, you can kind of set it 
and forget it type of thing. But I think with entrepreneurship, you know, especially now that we're seeing with the the pandemic is you have to constantly be innovating. You have to constantly be improving, constantly be working on your company, constantly be, um, you know, sharing different resources or creating new things to sell. And so I think what we've tried to do every single year is think, how do we continue to improve? How do we continue to change and morph into the needs of the market? And I think any company that continues to do that actively are the ones that really end up going the distance because the minute you sort of sit still is the minute you are getting left behind in in the dust. Yeah. And personally, how are you continuously improving, especially with the pandemic going on? Are you looking at other resources to continuously learn? Are you still connecting with other people? I think continuously, you know, learning whether that's through podcasts or like I said, LinkedIn is a great resource. I think just reading different newsletters and different things that get put out. I think connecting with people is great. I've had more coffee meetings, more virtual coffee meetings during the pandemic than I think I had in the whole first quarter of the year. Uh, So I think a lot more people are connecting and trying to learn from each other and share. And so that is something that we should all be doing all the time. But I think sometimes it can get lost in the shuffle of kind of like, yeah, 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 you know, I know I should do that, but I'm just so busy or, but there's something else to do or, but, you know, Netflix is on. And so I think that, you know, we all know that we should be learning all the time and we should always be improving. But I think now more than ever, everybody has has the time to be improving and and has the time to really look at themselves and say, what can I be developing even more? Yeah. And have you dealt with self-doubt as an entrepreneur? Because you can all continuously learn. You can always do something better for the business. But have you ever dealt with that kind of burnout? How did you deal with it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think self-doubt is everyone. I think it comes with self-doubt at one point or another. Uh, And I think for me, you know, it really helps to have a good sort of tribe around you. I always tell people, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or if you work in corporate or if you're a college student, you really have to look at who you're surrounded by and not only who you're surrounded by right now, but who you want to be surrounded by in the future. So really, you know, they always have that saying that you are the composition of the five people that you spend the most time with. And that's really true. And so I say the joke all the time, but I know that my goal in life is to be the dumbest person in the room uh, because I really think if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Uh, I don't think it's great to be a big fish in a little pond. I always am wanting to surround myself by people that are smarter than me and people that know a lot more than I do so that hopefully I can constantly be learning from them. And so I think it's really important, regardless of where where you are in life or how old you are, any of those things, really start to look at who you're spending your time with and, and what are those what are their goals? And do you all have the same goals? And it's okay to have different goals than your friends, of course. Uh, but I think, you know, as long as those general overviews are similar, you know, you guys are all ambitious or everybody wants to do well. That's what's really, I think, important for people to recognize. 
No, oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know as like a woman, we feel the need to take on multiple tasks and we have the mentality we can all figure it out on our own. So this question may seem kind of silly or simple, but how do we learn to ask for help and to delegate those tasks? You know, I started doing this recently because I, you know, going back to the the thing of always improving, I you know, liken it to, you know, you're not supposed to eat dessert every night, but then the next thing you know, you're like, oh, is this night four or night five of dessert? (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I even have slip ups where I fall back into bad habits or fall back into old habits of not asking for help. So what I try to do uh, at least once or twice a month is I look at my to-do list and I really look at it and I think, what are the things that are on this list that I can ask for help with. Uh, and really kind of deep diving into those items and saying, you know, if for instance, uh, I'll give you an example from this week, actually, I had to read over a six page PDF that I had made and I was looking at it and I was like, oh, I, you know, I have to do this. And I thought to myself, you know what? My mom is sitting at home uh, in Florida during this pandemic, you know, sad that she can't see her friends and, and leave the house. And I said, you know what? My mom could proofread this. You know, it doesn't have to always be me. And so I sent it off to her and said, mom, can you help me proofread this, this PDF? And, you know, that's a very silly example, but you know, you could have examples of, oh, I know I need to make my own website, or I know I need to update my resume and you could be the best person for that. Or you could go on Fiverr or Upwork or, uh, you know, one of these other websites and say like, Hey, I'm going to ask somebody on Fiverr to update my website for me instead of me doing it. So I just think that if you really take a look at your to-do list and say, what are the things that only I can do? Cause there are certainly things that only you can do. Uh, but there are usually a lot of things on your to-do list that somebody else could do if you asked for help with it. No. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely agree. And just a last question to wrap things up. What's been or who's been some of your favorite um, celebrities that you've been able to work with and partner with? Oh, that's so hard. It's been fun. I think it's been fun for different reasons. Uh, For instance, I grew up in Florida and my dad's a big surfer. And so I grew up listening to a lot of Beach Boys music, a lot of Jimmy Buffett, a lot of like uh, old surf songs. And so when we got to work with the Beach Boys, that was like a huge sort of a warming heart experience for me because so much of their music I had listened to with my with my dad growing up. So that was really special. Um, same with same with Jimmy Buffett. You know, that was really special. Uh, but then there are things that are really fun and cool. Uh, we worked with Baby Shark recently and I felt like all of my friends who had kids, I was like, the coolest one at the party all of a sudden because it was like wow you've worked on baby shark you know my kid loves that song um so it's it's definitely fun it's definitely interesting to see you know what people react to and and what people get the most excitement from but we've been really lucky that all of our clients are you know extremely wonderful and and kind and i think that's also part of our ethos and the way that we like to work is we want to be really collaborative we want to 
have it be a win for everybody. And so I think, you know, really checking in and, and making sure that it's a win for everybody involved is is super important. Yeah, well, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Kim. I really appreciate it. And I really can't wait to share um, your story with all, with my community. So I just want to thank you again for your time. I know you are very busy, but um, it was great chatting with you today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And if anyone has any more questions or thinks of something that I didn't answer, you know, feel free to DM me on Instagram. It's just at... Kim Kelp or I'm on LinkedIn as well. Both of those channels are just, uh, just my name. And that was Kim Kelp. I still can't believe that I was able to chat with her because she is absolutely incredible. And I really look up to her as a female entrepreneur. Make sure to check out her Instagram at Kim Kelp to see what it's really like to be an entrepreneur in the limelight. Please share this episode if you enjoyed it. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.